Welcome to a God Shift podcast, where we move you from disruption and delay into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. I'm your host, Shana Rattler, and I'm a minister, author, and sought-after speaker. Join myself and other leaders who unapologetically share their story of when their life collided with God's purpose and put them on the path that was designed for them. You will learn how to bounce back from setbacks, disappointments, and uncertainty, and unlock the door to confidence move into your next chapter. Hey, God Shift, I am your host, Shana Rattler, and I am so glad that you are here today because we are going to be talking about a topic that I think that we all need to know more about so that we can have more of it. At least I know I want to have more of it. But before we get started and before I introduce my esteemed guest, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take a screenshot of where you are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast. So whether you are watching or listening on your phone, your laptop, your tablet, take a screenshot and post it on social media. When you do, tag us here at A God Shift. And I just want to hear your biggest aha moment or your biggest takeaway from this episode. I do that not so much for metrics until I joined this um podcast network recently, I really didn't even care about the number of downloads that I had because I really just want this to get in the hands of as many people as possible so that they can recognize that whatever it is that they are going through in their life, that they have the opportunity to experience hope in what it is that they are going through. And so the more times that this gets shared, the more times that we know that that can happen. And hey, we're all doing our part to help to build the kingdom. So let me get to it. I'm going to read my guest bio and we're going to get into what I know is going to be a powerful conversation. So my guest today is the owner and financial advisor of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. With nearly a decade in the financial industry and a master's of business administration and finance, he has created a safe, non-judgmental space for Christians and people of faith to prepare for and live out their retirement. He is currently in the process of obtaining his certified private wealth advisor designation through Yale University. As a married father of four, he understands that as a Christian, leaving a legacy and successfully passing it on is at the top of every Christian's mind. It says in Proverbs 13 and 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But he believes that tithing, gifting, and leaving an inheritance is more than just money. Gifting includes your time, your talents, and your resources. We create plans that do more than provide the dollar and cents. Well, I say we, they help you pass on those values, those beliefs, and the convictions you have around your faith and the word of God. My guest is also the host of Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things, a Christian finance podcast with over 134 episodes available to download that helps listeners answer important financial and spiritual questions. I want to welcome to the show, Elijah Juan Ridgeway. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I am truly blessed to be here. I'm excited for you to be here. So we're going to talk about one of the ways that we can respond to our God shift moment. But before we do that, I just want to give a little context because my definition of a God shift is the moment that you ditch disruption or delay in your life, collide with God's purpose, and then that ultimately moves you into a greater destiny. And I believe that one of the ways that we can actually partner with God 
on this God shift journey is to exercise our kingdom authority. And so my personal definition of kingdom authority is it's our birthright as a child of God to actually be able to make things happen in our lives by partnering with what it is that scripture says. You know, there's all kinds of things that God is capable of doing, but we have a role to play in his will for our lives. And I think that there's a lot of instances in the Bible where it tells us that we as the believer have authority to do certain things. So I would love to hear, Elijah what is your own personal definition of kingdom authority? Yeah, first, I, I love that definition. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to try to follow that up. But, you know, you know, so many people know what they have been promised, but they are frustrated. You know, it hasn't happened yet. Right. So right. I believe one of the ways we partner with God in this process is by exercising our kingdom authority first. So how do we define kingdom authority as you eloquently did? For me, you know, let me tell you a story here. This this past Christmas, I went home to visit my parents who live in Sacramento, California. And for many of my listeners, they know I live deep in the bayous of Lafayette, Louisiana. And I'm talking sugar canes, crawfish, and alligators. But I was raised in Sacramento, California. So when I go back, it is a little bit of a culture shock. But as soon as I saw my mom and my dad, I felt like I was at home again. Mm -hmm. If the way I think, the way that I speak, my ethics and my beliefs were a person, it technically would be my parents, right? So it is through this acknowledgement that I can call myself a true Ridgeway. And I feel the same way about God and kingdom authority when we recognize that God is the creator. And because we are the children of the creator and we have creating powers, we can prosper by using our kingdom authority to make change in the world in which we were given dominion. But watch this. When we turn our backs on our family and we turn our backs on God, even when we succeed, quote unquote, we feel something is missing. So kingdom authority only comes when we align our values with our creator. And until we internalize the word of God, we will never know what those promises are. And, and for me, prosperity and abundance is one of those promises that he makes to us. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of guests that I have I have on here. I would say the majority of guests that I have on here. I think that I'm real clear in the fact that when I say that we have authority, that I'm not talking about what it is that God can do. Yet, when I ask them what their definition of kingdom authority is, their knee-jerk reaction is to tell me all the things that it is that God is capable of and all the things that that he's done in their lives. So I'm glad that you are and I are on the same page that this is about what our role is and what yes. it is that we can do. So I would love to hear you share a time in your life. If you look at where you came from and where you are now, that you actually had to exercise your authority in order to get to where you are. Well, my parents were in the army, but <laughs> when it came to, you know, building and breaking relationships, they might as well have been, you know, I was born in Texas. I was raised in California. I went to different schools as my friends from elementary to junior high and high school. Then I went to an HBCU at Grandma State University, you know, the University of Louisiana. And then I moved to Paris, France, and I found myself on top of the Sacre Coeur, which is the Sacred Heart. And where you can you can technically see all over the city of Paris and, and, and Paris is a city of love. And I say all this is because I was constantly building and breaking these relationships. And my dad wanted me to have a better education. So he took me to different districts all over this um, all over the city. But I realized when I was on top of that, um, on top of those stairs overlooking the city that I had accomplished so much up to that point. And the goal was to go to Spain, you know, go back to the States, go to law school, study international business law. But 
I was missing something mm. and it and it was love because it says in the Bible that Genesis chapter two, verse 18, I think it says the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Yeah. So, so I made a choice. I moved out to Tucson, Arizona. I married my wife and started a life, you know, but during that time I gave up a very lucrative career path and was standing in the middle of the literal desert <laughs> in Arizona, you know, trying to find my way. And I felt like Moses just wandering, trying to find myself, you know, money started to get tight. I had a baby on the way and I was unemployed, but then I applied for a position as a part-time bank teller at a local bank. They saw my resume, they saw my skills and denied me the job. Oh, wow. Well, you know why? They said that I was overqualified, but by the grace of God, they told me they had a banker's position open and would be honored if I accept it. So when I tell you, I nearly fell to my knees and cried. God had answered my prayers and I had been in finance ever since. You know, I was soon promoted to a private client financial advisor. After eight year lucrative career with JP Morgan, I decided to establish my own independent investment firm, a place where believers and Christians could feel welcome, where our values and beliefs were rooted in gospel. And it was only through my kingdom authority that God combined my love for him, my love for finance and my need for freedom of expression to create what we have today. And that is where I talk about being rooted in your kingdom authority because I had to have faith in God that he was going to guide me, but I also needed works. I had to do the work. I had to move. I had to understand where he was working in my life. And that is what perfected my faith, as it says in James chapter two, verse 22, around there. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you find yourself in this desert moment, literally and figuratively, right? right you're literally right. in the desert because you're in, in Arizona, right. but you also find yourself feeling like you're in a desert moment in your life. Of course. Um, I often say that sometimes when we feel like we're in the wilderness, we're really in the workshop. Mm. And so I would love to know, like, what did you learn? during this entire process that you went through, especially, you know, I love what you said. You said combining your love for God with your love for finance. Right. Exactly. What well, one thing I learned was stop letting people buy your time. You know, when we're young, the only thing we're taught is how to sell our time. You know, what is the first thing your parents tell you to do? Go to school and yeah. invest into your future. So you make a trade-off of your youth to sit in class for eight hours a day, learning about George Washington and algebra. You know, when you graduate from all that learning, you go out and try to sell that knowledge. Well, that is what we think, but they don't care about your knowledge. They want yeah. your time. If it was about knowledge, they wouldn't spend the first month doing what? Teaching you and giving you knowledge. They have the knowledge. They don't have the time and yeah. they are willing to give knowledge and money for their time. And that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, during that time, you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't sell his time. You know, he has one of the biggest companies in the world. You don't see him delivering packages. Why? Right. Because he has more money than time. So he is willing to pay you $15, which is, you know, very cheap for him for you to run around for an hour, for you to yeah. run around for a day. So what I learned is to put yourself, to put your time into things that you have faith in, things that you want, and God will bless you with prosperity. And it doesn't always come with money. Sometimes it's respect. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's happiness. Sometimes it's peace. So don't think that if you go to work, you can't be happy. That's not, that's not it. I just want you to know that at the end of the day, let's say this, no matter how much you make per hour, 
That is how much your hour of life is worth. And that's what you're selling it for. So make some better decisions. So if you feel like you're overselling your time, cut back. If you feel that you're not selling enough of your time, give more, volunteer, but do it because at the end of the day, it's your life that we're talking about. We're just a, a accumulation of memories. Make sure they last. So do this for me, Elijah Warren. Let's make sure. it biblical for a moment. Sure. So why should, not why, that's not, that's not the way that I want to phrase that question. How is it that a person can combine their love with God for the love for their love of money, right? I know you said finance, but I'm going to just make it plain. Right? <laughs> sure. So, sure. Know, and why is it important to do so? Because, and, and here's where I'm going with this, and I'm sure you're already picking up on this, but there's sure. the world's standard sure. of how we do things. And then there's the kingdom and God's standard of how we do things. And I believe that even in practical things in business and practical things in life, that the world uses a particular strategy, a way of getting ahead or, or, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, gaining traction in an area is not necessarily the way that it always has to be done in the kingdom. So I would love for you to make a direct link between that combination of our love for God with the love for money. Yeah, I think, I think, let me take a step back. I think, I think the idea of combining a love of God and a love of money being equivalent is where we kind of mess up at first, right? Because technically we don't have a love for money or we're not supposed to have a love for money, right? Yeah. What, what we're supposed to have is a love for God and allow him to bless us with prosperity in the right. form of these different monies and love and right. happiness, right? Because think about it. What do we do with our money? We go and we spend it on things that make us what? Happy. So if we can cut out the middleman, which is money, and we can just find happiness, then we win at the end of the day. So what I tell a lot of my clients and a lot of the people who listen to me is this. If we focus on God, money becomes the tool that it's supposed to be. Money is the second most talked about topic in the Bible behind the kingdom of God. So God thought it was important that you understood how money functioned in this world and understood that it wasn't the money that was bad because Jesus still got money from the Pharisees for his travels. He still asked people to take them inside their homes and and feed them. That takes money. But if we, we understand how it functions in our lives we won't have a love for it. We will not do evil things to get it. We will be free to give to others who are in need of it. And we'll be able to share it because we understand God owns it all. And if we keep that mindset, then we'll start to realize that other people care more about your money than you do. Yeah. It's it's crazy. People says, well, you can't be rich and you can't be righteous. And then I think, well, you're looking at my wallet. It seems that you have a love for money that you are judging me basically on how much should I have. And I think that creates an insecurity in a lot of individuals. I think they're afraid to have money because they don't want to be judged and were misjudged, you yeah. know, about their pursuit of God. So what I tell people is, is focus on God, the money, the happiness, the love, and the peace will come if you ask. You know, ask and it shall be given unto you. And that's and that's how I, I truly feel. But your intentions have to be good. Right. The other thing that I don't think that we need to dismiss is that the li- the lifestyle of a believer should be rooted in love. And if if you're rooted in love, you should have a desire to want to help people and help situations. 
you can't help anyone and you can't have any impact if you're broke. And so I, I, I really struggle to understand the mindset of anyone, let alone believers, that thinks that money is bad or that they don't have they don't need a lot of it. I the more I have, the more people that I can help. You don't have imp, you don't have any impact if you have no income. You have no impact in, impact if you don't have a surplus. If every month I only make enough to cover my household expenses, then I have literally nothing left to impact the world. Right. You know the funny thing is, I, I'm glad that you brought this up because people don't hate money. That is the excuse they use for their inability to achieve their goals. Yeah, because that's their excuse for not having any. <laughs> right, because, because they equate poverty with piety because it makes them feel good. We love to hear good news about our bad habits. The fact that we haven't been working hard, the fact that we haven't been being good stewards of the wealth God has blessed us with to multiply. Because even in the, the parable of the talents, the master criticizes these his servants for not multiplying his money. So God is telling us he does want us to multiply our blessings. And the crazy thing is I always tell people, I says, well, if money is so evil, why do you spend one third of your day trying to get it? Yep. We go to work eight hours, nine hours of our time dedicated to trying to accumulate money. Well, I have to live. Yes. But God wants you to live and prosper. And like you said, to give to everybody else. And you can't do that if you are selfishly only trading your time enough to preserve yourself. So which is worse, accumulating a lot of money so you can help a lot of people or accumulating just enough so you can satisfy yourself? You could be the judge. And in that example that you just gave from scripture, I can't remember if that's in Mark or Matthew, but in that example that you just gave of the three servants who were given three different amounts of talents, if the Lord didn't desire for us to multiply our money he would not have told the third servant who took his one talent and buried it in the ground. He wouldn't have called him a wicked and lazy servant. Yes. Right. Like exactly. he wouldn't put such emphasis on the um, dissatisfaction or the, the disappointment that he had in that servant. If he didn't desire for us to make more than what it is that we already have. So that one, we can have everything that it is that we need and want. And so yes. that we can help other people have what it is that they need or want as well. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm really going to give you the opportunity to share some tips on how people can become better stewards sure. and make more money so that they can have more, be more and do more for themselves <laughs> and for other people as well. Sure. We'll be right back. Perhaps. All right. It doesn't want to play. So I will just read it. I will just read the commercial since it doesn't. Ah, now it acts like it wants to play. Technology is fabulous when it works. This episode is brought to you by the free guide When God Says Shift. Inside, you'll discover the four shifts required to reveal God's plan to ditch disruption or delay and get his blessings faster. Head to GodSaysShift.com to access it now. All right. So we're talking about this concept of stewarding our finances, and there's an opportunity for us to steward our finances 
regardless of whether or not we have a lot of money or whether or not we have a little bit of money. Um, and hopefully by now, based on what we just talked about in the last couple of minutes, that people understand that they should desire to have more so that they can do more for themselves and for the world around them. So if someone is listening to this episode of Lajawan and they're really struggling to recognize that they actually have God-given authority to be able to shift their money more positively, what would be the best tip that you would give them, regardless of where they are on the scale of little to lot? I think the first thing you should do is, I'm all about mentality right? (laughs) Finances are finances, but I think you should retrace your steps first to the place you feel most in control and work your way back out. You know, too many times when we get anxious, it means we are trying to control things that we don't have the power to control. My second tip is to to do less thinking and more doing. You know, when you feel anxious, there is an imbalance in your life. When you think too much, there are no results, right? And when you act, when you get out there and execute, even something as small as self-care, you know, a routine such as washing your face or brushing your teeth, you're making a shift in your life. You know, don't discount the small things such as being able to feed yourself, have a roof over your head, or even the ability to read. You know, you are an accumulation of your past choices, right or wrong. If you yeah. want to change into something different, you have to make different choices. And I didn't say think about different choices. I didn't say journal about different choices. I didn't say read about different choices. I didn't say repeat affirmations about the choices. I said make different choices. And that only becomes around surrounding yourself. So those who are listening, congratulations, you are actually putting in the work, but we also need you to take these tips and then go execute. You know, it says in James, it says, it's through your works, you know, that your faith will be perfected. It is only through the doing that your faith and what you want to obtain will become your reality. That's right. It, yeah. It says if we're, if we're just going to hear the words, and the word and not be and not be doers of it. We're just deceiving ourselves. So what would you say is um, one strategy that anyone can implement that they can start implementing soon in order to be able to have more increase? The first thing you need to do is know where you are, right? We can't get to where we're going to be if we don't know where we are. We always talk about income and expenses. You will be surprised how many people guesstimate how much their expenses are. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to things that they love, they they get a little foggy and things that they hate, they get very specific. Oh, my light bill is twenty one dollars and twenty one cent. Right. But when it comes to how much they spend on going out to eat uh, about you know, hundred dollars a week, which is usually a far cry from what they usually spend. So what I tell people is pull out that statement that they send you every month and really dive into what you are buying and how much you are buying. And you'll be surprised at the difference of the income that comes into your household and what you're subtracting in expenses. And then you'll see your margin, you know, nine times out of 10, when you strip out the essentials, such as your car note or your, your mortgage, those things you can't do anything about, right? Those are non-discretionary. You have to spend those things, but you want to focus more on your discretionary things that you can control, you know, how much, how much you spend on laundry detergent, how much did you spend at Target? You know, how much did you, you pick up at, you know, at Walmart when you really went in there to, you know, pick up some toothpaste and you ended up with a hundred dollars worth of groceries. Those are where you can have the most control. And I tell people a budget is not necessarily controlling your spending. It's actually a spending plan. So you can redirect those dollars away from DoorDash, where they have the service fee, where they have the delivery fee, where they have the tip, 
and direct those into things that you really want, a new career, new education, or maybe even traveling. You know, think about it. If you overspend $20, um, you know, every week, that's that could be a whole trip by the end of the year that you can have. So what I tell people is control your finances, just know exactly what you're working with. And then, you know, you can be able to increase. You'll know where to invest. You'll know where to save. Yeah. I had a conversation with my 25 year old son, maybe about three weeks ago. And I told him, I was like, you really need to start writing down what you're spending because he called me and asked me for some money or something like that. And my son makes more than enough money that he should not be calling to ask (laughs) me for something for like food, you know, whatever it was, it wasn't even anything big. Um, And so I said, you know, I'm not saying that you spend frivolously and you're just running around, you're throwing your money away. I said, but what I am saying is that most people don't realize exactly what it is that they're spending money on until they really start to look at where did my money go? But I believe that the best budget is telling your money where to go instead of looking back at where it went. Because I've talked to a lot of people that their idea of budgeting and really getting control of their finances is to look back at the end of the month and see what they spent on each category, which is good if they're doing what it is that you're advising them to do to say, let's begin to get a snapshot of what you've been doing in the past. But the best budget is before the month begins, I'm going to tell my money where to go. I'm going to tell my money how much it it can be spent on a a specific category. And then you have to put systems and mechanisms in place, you know, whether it's an envelope system, which I know a lot of people don't carry cash, but you've got to try to figure out a way to say, okay, I told myself that on these non-discretionary things that I wasn't going to spend more than $200 this month eating out. Well, now you have to have some kind of system to make sure that since you told your money that it only had $200 to spend on that, that you actually have a way of checking yourself to go, okay, I'm at 170. So if my girlfriends call me this weekend and ask me to go out, I can only go if I'm not going to spend more than $30. And if it's right. more than $30, then what, you know, you have, you have a decision to make. Let me give you, I'm going to give your audience another tip that I'd like to share. Um, I usually don't share this on, on podcast, but I will share it with you. There are, cause I want to prevent some things as well, right? So we know what you can do, but yeah. I'm going to protect you from some people taking advantage of you and taking more money than you're actually saving. Um, there's four seasons, right? There's, you know, there's spring, summer, uh, fall and winter. There's four seasons. Each of us are going to fall in those four seasons as far as our finances are concerned. We have debt management, we have savings, we have investing, and then we have wealth transfers. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what season you are in so you don't get distracted. Because if you are trying to manage debt, trying to jump into another season of investing will cause you nothing but pain. Jumping over saving will be detrimental to your investment strategy. If you don't do all three, debt management, savings, and investing, you will have nothing to transfer. So Mm -hmm. what I want to tell your listeners is this, understand your season and focus on that season until you're out of it. You know, really dwell in the present and you're going to do fine. You won't be ripped off by these scams of promising double and triple and quadrupling your money overnight in six months because they know that you're in a down part. They know that you're in winter. You, They know that you're struggling and they take advantage of it. So I want to protect, especially the believers to say, dwell in your season, focus on those tips that, that apply to you and 
believe and have faith that God is going to take you to that next season. So once you get out of debt, start saving. Once you finish saving up that six to nine months of emergency, then start investing. Invest with all your heart and then be able to transfer to your children's and then to your children's children. I'm so excited for this conversation. And I'm so excited for my audience to be able to hear this because like I said, I'm tired of seeing Christians walking around not having everything that it is, it is yes. their birthright to have. And it right. is our birthright to be wealthy. Yes, And everyone is going to have a different definition of what wealthy looks like for them. But whatever your definition of wealth looks like, it's your birthright as the heirs of Christ to have that. You know, it tells us in scripture that we're the heirs of Christ, but it also tells us in scripture that he owns the cattle that's upon a thousand hills. So why you know, if he owns all of these things and we're his heir, that means that we should have them as well. And so it really bothers me to see Christians walking around in lack because the Lord does not desire for us to be in lack. And so I appreciate you um, coming on here and showing us how we can begin to exercise authority over our finances. So how can our audience, how can they find you on social media? Well, I'm on Facebook, but uh, the best place to find me is my website, www.abrwealthmanagement.com. Um, you can also have a free resource for biblical um, principles. Every Christian should know about building generational wealth. Um, and I think that is going to be a great stepping stone for a, a lot of people out there. Um, and I, I know, you know, our time is running short. Do you mind if I say one more thing? If, no, if you don't give mind. us some final words. Okay. So there was a couple of points that I want to make as far as for those who are listening, you know, I don't want to, to make you feel bad about your finances at all. Um, when Jesus was asked about the, the, the taxes, the Pharisees tried to trick him. He says, give what is Caesar's unto Caesar. Um, mm-hmm. And they knew that he was talking about them. Right. But they couldn't arrest them. Right. So the the idea here that I'm telling you is that even though this may resonate with you and you feel that you're in that position, it doesn't mean that we're attacking you or anything else like that. Everybody has a starting point. Everybody has deficiencies in their finances, even me, you know, even the host here. And I I want your listeners to know that if they are thinking about investing for future generations, they need help. I want them to start now. Do it now. You know, one of the problems I come across in my business is a fear of judgment. You know, many of my clients are successful executives and and to admit that they don't have it all together financially can be a humbling experience. But I'm here to say it is okay. We all can be great, but we all can't be great at everything. You gained your wealth by being great at your craft. You know how to make the money. Let us help you to protect the money and not according to our will, but to the will of God. Yeah, we can't manage what we don't first measure. Of course. And so, like you said, there's no, there's no shame in this, but you first have to be able to identify where you are. And sometimes you do need to be made uncomfortable. You know, our job is not always to make you say, amen. Sometimes our job is to make you say, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm less concerned about your feelings being hurt. And I'm more concerned about you getting your money right. Get get the coins up. So Olajuwon, thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to make sure that the links to your social media and the website so that they can take advantage of that free resource is in the show notes. So thank you for being here and helping us to be able to take authority over our finances. Everyone share this episode far and wide because I don't know anyone 
who cannot benefit from having more and being better stewards of what it is that we already have in our hands so that we can be pleasing unto God. So share this. And I pray that this episode has blessed you and that you will go back and listen to future episodes as well. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for listening to the God Shift Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember to put God first and everything will fall into place.